listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early when it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciples and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. And he saw. And he believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. One at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father. My God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. Chances are you already know, but in case you don't, the passage of scripture we just read is why churches across the globe are celebrating today. 
Easter Sunday marks the day where we as a church remember that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, not only, not only gave himself willingly over to a painful, agonizing, earthly sinner's death at the hands of merciless men and a torture device called a cross, not only that his loved ones wrapped his body in cloth and laid him to rest and rolled a giant stone over his tomb, but on Easter Sunday, this is where we celebrate the fact that the stone didn't stay there long. That the grave didn't stay filled with the stench of death. We celebrate that the disciples came to the tomb expecting signs of death and decay, and they found signs of breath and life. Today, my friends, my dear church family, whom I love so dearly, We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you've been with us the last few weeks, we are in a teaching series right now called Foundation. And we're taking a fresh look at some of the foundational elements of our faith as Christians. And and the resurrection is kind of a big one. I just want to throw that out there today. (laughs) So much of what we believe as Christians, so so much of what we believe in Christianity hinges on the fact that Jesus conquered the grave. He went into the tomb, a dead, lifeless body, and came out again three days later, alive. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, he says, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and our faith is in vain. And and again, in verse 17, Paul says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. See what I mean? All of Christianity lives or dies with the truth of the resurrection. Even Paul knew that. But thankfully, thankfully, he also said this in verse 20 through 22. He said, but, now that's a big but right there, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, for as by a man came death, by a man also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Right? Thank you, Kim. Thank you for clapping. I appreciate it. That's a, that's a supportive wife right there. <laughs> What Paul means by that is is just as Adam and Eve affected all of the human race who followed them with their sin that leads to death, Jesus, with his obedience, 
has affected all those who follow him and believe in him by giving them everlasting resurrection life. Paul even acknowledges the mystery of this, right? He, he, he acknowledges the mystery that all believers in Jesus will one day have eternal life. He says in verses 51 and 52, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the moment In a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. The same resurrection life is available to all of those who believe and follow Jesus Christ today. That's why I am so excited that when the disciples went to the tomb, it was empty. Because that is the linchpin of Christianity, the resurrection life. Now, there are several things that stick out to me, actually, in the, in the resurrection account that we just read a moment ago. And, and I love, I love, love, love in verse 11, when I can just imagine Mary Magdalene in like a crumpled heap weeping that someone has desecrated the body of her friend and teacher. And and somewhere between sobs, she sees two angels sitting where Jesus' body once laid. And they they say to her, woman, why why are you crying? Can you imagine how disorienting that must have been? Like, (laughs) you're, you're all emotional, and then all of a sudden two angels, like, question why you're cry, crying out of nowhere, I feel like that would be really disorienting. Um, <laughs> but, 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 but still not quite sure what's going on. She explains that, that someone has stolen Jesus' body. But before she even fully gets the words out, right? Before she even gets the words out, she feels the presence of another near her. She turns and sees a man and with her eyes still blurry with tears, the man speaks and, and, and says, Woman, why are you crying? As if to say, like, now isn't the time for tears. The time for tears is past, right? And, and still confused and emotional, Mary begins she, she begins to beg the man, like, crying out in desperation, if you have taken the body of my Jesus, tell me where he is. And in one of the most beautiful moments in all of the Bible, the man just simply speaks her name, Mary. Mary. That's it. Just, just Mary. In my head, I imagine it sounded much like an, the unmistakable way a caring father says the name of his child. A familiar voice that you would just know anywhere. And immediately she knew it was Jesus. Such an intimate moment. Such a personal moment for, a, for our personal Savior. I love it. Another thing that sticks out to me every time, every single time I read the resurrection account, um, is the two disciples entering the tomb. 
Mary comes to the disciples panicking because she believes someone has stolen the body of Jesus. And, and this is before Jesus reveals himself to her. So, so when the disciples hear the news, Peter and the other disciples, which is commonly, the other disciples commonly believed to be John, the author of the book of John, and, and, and they take off running, right? And, and I don't believe like it's like a leisurely jog through the park kind of run. Like I believe it's like an Olympic runner bursting off the starting line, like almost a run you could watch in like slow motion, like da 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 right? I'm a horrible runner. That's why I, I shake a lot. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, John gets there first, right? And he peeks in and he sees that the tomb was empty, but, but doesn't go in because he defers to the seniority of Peter. And, and moments later, Peter arrives on the scene and he ain't waiting for nobody, right? Like he rushes right into the tomb and it's empty, right? Nothing. Jesus isn't there. He didn't even leave a note saying, left to go get almond milk, BRB. There was nothing, right? The tomb was empty. Well, actually, it wasn't totally empty, right? It wasn't completely empty. Like, the, the Bible goes on at, at length, actually, about a few pieces of cloth that were left behind in the tomb. It says in, in John 20, 6 and 7, that the, then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloths, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. What is the significance of these cloths? Why why would the Bible go to such lengths to describe it in such detail? And I'll tell you why. These pieces of cloth, they were Jesus' grave clothes. The clothes that he was wrapped in when he was was dead. His dead, lifeless body was wrapped in in these, these grave clothes and the clothes that he would have been wrapped in after his crucifixion. And, and when intact, they would have actually looked something like this. You were handed a piece of paper with that image on it earlier. And we're going we're gonna to use that in just a little bit. But as you can see, there would have been a large portion of cloth surrounding Jesus' body and then a smaller portion of cloth around his head. And in verse 6, it says that when the disciples entered the tomb, the piece of body cloth was just lying on the ground in the tomb. But the portion of the cloth that covered Jesus' face was not only removed, but It was in a different place altogether by itself in the tomb. Now, it doesn't take NCIS Special Agent Gibbs to figure out something's not, is is iffy here, right? Something's fishy, right? And so uh, the, the, the body, if the body was truly stolen, the thieves aren't gonna take time to like 
fold up the face cloth and delicately place it off to the side. You know, like, like no, it's, a, it's unlikely that thieves would even mess with the grave clothes because why would they want to unwrap a dead body in the first place, right? Like, they're going to grab the body and go. And, and they're, they're definitely not going to take the time to practice their napkin etiquette, I'll tell you that much. And, and like, like, verse 8 says, the disciples saw the sign. The disciples saw the face cloth folded up off to the side. They saw the sign and they believed. And verse 9 offers proof that the disciples didn't, did not just uh, fabricate the story to fit their preconceived notions of what, what was predicted about Jesus because they, they didn't understand that he was supposed to rise from the dead. They didn't understand. And so once... They believed they went back to share the good news. Such a beautiful account. And I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for the Bible. Um, the living, true, breathing word of God that still speaks today. And there's so much in this account that we could grab onto and pull out. But there's just something about these grave clothes that stick out to me. There's something in the grave clothes that I feel like there's something deep in this for us today. And so let's camp out on the grave clothes for a little bit. Um, if you want to truly come alive with resurrection life that Jesus has to offer, I want you to know that some things must die. Some things must die. Hear me out on this. To truly come alive, some things need to be left in the tomb. The things in our lives that keep us from fully embracing Jesus and the life that he has to offer us need to stay dead and in the tomb. Ephesians 2 puts it like this in verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming age he might show his, the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Amen. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. 
For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for the good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. As I mentioned earlier, because of the fall of Adam and Eve, we are all born into this world broken, incapable of fixing ourselves or our sins, and we're born with no inclination or responsiveness toward God, no ability to please God. We are completely unable to be good enough to earn God's grace apart from Jesus Christ. We are helpless and hopeless. Ephesians 2 talks about us being dead in our trespasses and sins. Those are the things that separate us from God, as Tara spoke about last week. Because God is completely flawless, undeniably perfect, pure perfection. God has never made a mistake. God has never had an identity crisis. God never gets the Monday blues, ever. God has never felt down because he's having a bad hair day. God's hair is always perfect. In fact, he could definitely rock one of those shirts that say, like, I woke up like this, right? Like, like he, he could rock that shirt. And I, and I know we don't, like, tend to talk like this, you know, because it kind of feels, feels like bragging or whatever. But, like, I want you to know it's not if you're talking about God, because it's truth, right? Thank you, I will. <laughs> oh, man. Because God is the very definition of perfection. In our sin, it smells like death and disobedience to Him. In verse 3, it says, uh, well, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I, I'm really super thankful that the scripture doesn't end there, though. It continues on with a big, life-changing but. Like, there is a big but coming. Like, like. And, and, and fellas, like, I think this is one case where we can sincerely get away with saying, I like big butts and I cannot lie, right? Like, like this, is, this, is, this, is, this is one case where we can do, like, this is a, this is a, this is a big butt. We were, we were, by nature, we were children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God. But God, right? It, it doesn't end there with the children of wrath. It says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with, what she, with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ, so that in the coming age he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. See, 
When Christ rose from the dead, not only did he come back to life and prove that he was the son of God, but through his obedience and sacrifice, he made a way for us all to be raised up, to come alive with the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. But for this to happen, but for this to happen, some things must die. The things that need to be put to rest in our lives could be sins that we're wrestling with in thought, word, or deed. They could be negative relationships in your life that somehow keep pulling you down. You try to get out of it and you just pull you back in, right? Maybe it's, maybe it's an addiction in your life that needs to die. An addiction can take all sorts of forms, from sexual to vanity to drug abuse. I don't, know, I don't know what you're dealing with. But addictions must die to capture the resurrection life. And, and maybe, it's, maybe, you, maybe you're a longtime believer. Maybe, maybe you've been in the church your whole life and fear and unbelief have a hold on you. Fear. And unbelief have no place in the resurrection life. Those things are just going to hold you back. See, when we allow these things to keep us separated from God, we give them power over us instead of God. In God's place, we give these things power. Just like Tara spoke about last week. We have no power to kill the sins in our lives and make ourselves right before God on our own. It is only by faith in Jesus that we can crucify these things in our life and take part in the resurrection life that we've been talking about. In verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, and this gift of God brings with it a life that will be more fulfilling than any temporary excitement sin can bring you. The fact of the matter is that sin in our life, yeah, it may bring you a moment's pleasure. But the truth is, it will never be enough. Never enough. And the momentary pleasure that you feel is certain to produce disastrous consequences in your life. And I would guess that there are some people in this room that know exactly what I'm talking about and can attest to it. I've lived it. These sins that we keep hidden, at first, you know, like having a secret is kind of cool, right? Like, Keeping things hidden is, is, is kind of cool, like you have a secret, and these sins, they kind of begin to feel like, like a warm blanket kind of wrapped around us, you know? Uh, but the truth is, they just begin to wrap tighter and tighter, and these sins that feel like a warm blanket at first, they, they just become our grave clothes, they just wrap us up and imprison us. Imprison us like a cage. 
in many ways, the tomb of Jesus, it, it, it resembled a cage. Jesus was trapped in death, bound and broken. But, but when Christ rose from the dead, not only did he free himself, but through his sacrifice, he, he unlocked our cage. He opened the tomb and made a way for us to be free. And when Jesus became free, all remnant of death was left behind in the tomb. I don't care how pretty your tomb or your cage is. I want you to know that freedom in Jesus Christ is so so, so much better. I don't care if Joanna Gaines decorated your tomb or your cage. <laughs> Freedom is so much better. So my question for you today my question for you today What are the things that you're holding on to that are holding you back from coming fully alive in Christ Jesus? What pieces of death are you still hanging on to? What is stopping you from embracing the freedom that was bought for you by Jesus Christ? I want you to go ahead and pull out those papers that we gave you when you, when you came in. I want you to take a moment and think about it. Pray about it. Meditate on it. Ask God to show you what those things are in your life if you don't know. And I guarantee you he will. See, uh, as the worship team comes and this next song begins to play, I want you to bring the things you wrote down. I want you to write them out. Write out the things that are holding you back from fully embracing the resurrection life, that are holding you back from coming alive in Christ. As the next song plays out, I want you to bring those things forward. And I want you to place them in the tomb where they belong along with the grave clothes. And as you come, as each piece of paper is put in the tomb, we're gonna give you a symbol of your resurrection life. And so this week, when you get this cloth, I want you to hang it somewhere or tie it to something. Somewhere where you will see it every day and let it remind you of what Romans 6.23 says. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want you to take your time when you're answering and writing out 
You can be detailed or you can just put single words down. It's up to you. No one is ever going to see these. No one is ever going to see these. It's just between you and God. It's symbolic. Bring them up when you're ready and place them in the tomb where grave clothes belong. And I want you to grab hold of Jesus with both hands and come alive in Christ this week. Live out in your resurrection life that was bought for you. I'm going to pray and you can bring forward your paper when you're ready and I'll be here to give you this cloth. If you'd like to pray with someone, the front rows are open. The front rows are open and and someone on my core team, my core leadership team would be glad, glad to pray with you. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this moment, Lord. Lord, we thank you that we can come alive in Christ. Lord, that we can be dead in our trespasses. We can be dead in our sins. Or we can choose to grab hold of your resurrection life. Lord, you unlocked the cage. You made the way. You rolled the stone away from the tomb. Father, we invite you to move in this place in a powerful way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.